We're in the shed again. It's a episode 126. Once again, we have a boatload of stuff on our minds that we just need to unload to your boats. So hopefully yours are light on cargo right now and we can just fill them up with whatever's in our head. We're going to get going right away. So buckle down. Focus now. Focus. You might need to make some important life decisions as a result of what we're about to talk about. Ready? Here we go. Um, KJ. Hmm. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do I put you on the spot. Do you, do you, do you have snappers for us? Do I ever? <laughs> good, good. It's time again for KJ's Snappers, wherein our own KJ dog tries to stump the panel with etymological quandaries he's stumbled across in his travels, and in which PJ and RJ search deep into their time-addled memories to see if they can piece together the meanings and origins of these terms. So let's play KJ's Snappers. Okay, we're ready. Here we go. I got all sorts. Oh, by the way, um, we got the notice to shut down the Airbnbs. and Bs. Oh, did you? Oh, that's too bad. It's going to take a lot of a lot of off my plate that I don't have to do those frickin' flips. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought those flips are keeping you active, though. Yes, yes, there is that. I'm actually in the middle of one right now. They're plane was delayed in Istanbul and they won't be landing until 10.30 tonight. Hmm. Um, First one. This is from Rachel Maddow and she used the expression landed on your doorstop. (laughs) Now, gentlemen, are you familiar with that? I'm pretty sure that she misspoke. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that at all, no. It's landed on your doorstep. I'm, I don't know. Okay, listeners, this is your big chance, your big chance to finally prove what we've suspected all along, that you're way smarter than us. Write in and tell us where the expression landed on your doorstop may have come from and what it might mean and how it varies from landed on your doorstep. I think if it was step, she would have corrected herself. She's super bright, so and she's sharp, yeah. unlike uh, yours truly. So she would uh, notice it live normally. Okay, well, I'm not going to Google it for once, since Good. our listeners have been given an assignment, and they can see if they can not Google yeah. it. Okay, next one. Bicameral. B-I-C-A-M-E-R-A-L. Bicameral. And it was used, it was like bipartisan and bicameral. And I know I've probably heard it before, but do you guys have any off-the-top opinions? I just have a small one here in terms of word root. I've heard bicameral before, do not know what it means, but I do know what in-camera means. And in-camera means a meeting that nobody, that outsiders are not allowed to observe. That's my only guess is that there's some tenuous relationship because bicameral is a political term, is it not? Well, that's how it it was used here. Um, I think you're right, RJ. That's a good one. That it might just be a private... It's like a private vote. So you don't have to vote the party line. You don't have to report Ah. to your party what your opinion in that meeting. Nice. I think that's probably what that means. But I don't know either. I've heard that word before, but never really bothered to think about it. Because why would I? Another one for our listeners. Yeah, I got too many other things to not think about. Uh, Gin up. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what that one means. What? What means to make up from whole cloth? You're just going to gin it up. You're just going to 
put together a bunch of stuff that sounds plausible and presented as fact. Manufactured out of thin air. Yeah. And I, I first noticed that getting used a lot in American by American politicians about five, 10 years ago. Um, like Obama used it all the time and they gin this up out of nowhere kind of thing. It might be related to the game of gin rummy. I've always wondered about nah. where, where did it actually come from? What is it? What is a cotton gin? Yeah, that's where I was going. Cotton gin strips cotton out of cotton bowls and makes it into something that you can use. You don't have to hand harvest it out of the cotton ball. What are they? Cotton gin. Yeah, it just takes it and lays out the fibers in some way that they can be much more readily manipulated, I think. Yeah, it's a sort of a, almost a manual machine. But, it's you know, like a the, comb the, of some sort, yeah. Yeah, but they're, usually they had a generator and a big wheel and a great big long leather strap that was attached and it rolls around. And... Yeah, okay. Eli Whitney. And I think the idea is when it was first invented, here's, I'm just going to make this all up, okay? This is just me talking, but I think it's, when cotton gins first came along, they were regarded as miraculous. So that out of this mass of stupid cotton balls, you got this lovely, miraculous bundle of something useful, a cotton bale, I guess. I don't know what you got out of it, but it was like a transformation, a miraculous transformation. So if you gin something up, I think the idea would be you take a bunch of nothing and you make it into something. Ah, good one, Skinny. I think. Well, I'm going to... Okay, uh, now go. I have uh, done some real-time follow-up here. Uh, this is from Grammarist.com. They're saying there's a number of theories. The first theory is that gin something up came from the phrase to ginger something up. Ah. This refers to the practice of applying ginger to a horse's delicate parts before it is shown for auction to make the horse appear lively. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Wow. But then, so if you gin something up, the implication would be you are dealing with something real, but you're dressing it up to make it look more viable or vivid or attractive, right? Yeah. The, the horse's uh, kind of liveliness has been ginned up. Yeah. It didn't exist before, and now it, it exists just by applying a little ginger. Well, that's pretty great. Fascinating. <laughs> that's a lot more fun than the stupid cotton gin, for well, sure. I uh, it, it originated in the United States in the late 1800s, which is around probably around the time of the cotton gin, right? I think it was much earlier. I think the cotton mm. gin was in the early 1800s. Yeah, okay. Has uh, gained popularity again because of its use by President Obama. Nice. Yeah. Uh, daylights, as in knock the daylights right out of me. Where did it come from? Well, <sighs> what, what specifically does it refer to? Like it knocks you out? So you go down yeah. and you can't see daylight anymore? Like, Yeah, I mean, in general, the, the phrase means to knock someone out or to beat someone up badly. Knock the daylights out of you could be more generally used as, oh, yeah, he knocked the daylights out of that theory. I'm going to fully manufacture out of thin air. I'm going to gin up another definition here. <laughs> and it is that basically daylights are some kind of thing that provide light, like a light that is akin to daylight. And if you knock them out, you're plunged into darkness. In other words, so when you get hit hard enough to be plunged into darkness, someone has knocked out your daylights. Sounds about right. Yeah, but it's often used as 
like, oh, they said something and it just knocked the daylights out of me. Right? Well, it's, it's, it's often used as an expression of how thoroughly something has been done. Man, he presented the daylights out of that paper on tuna fish. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they, it's just used as it, but I think the origin is, I'm going to go with a daylight was a particular kind of light without which you are in darkness. That's, I'm going with that. Nice. Dennis. Okay. Just Googling around here, I've been reminded that, that another use of the phrase is to beat the beat the living daylights out of something. Right, I think, right. I think living is just one of those pointless... Uh, the living daylights. What do you call them? Modifiers, right? Yeah. It's like holy flapping doodles. Well, what's a doodle and why does it flap? What's a daylight and why is it living or dead? Like, I, I don't know. Well, nice. in the uh, 18th century, um, <laughs> daylights referred to eyes. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are the, those are the you know, your yeah. eyes are open, they let the day in. Yeah, nice. And if you if you look at a door, uh, those little glass uh, windows beside the door are referred to as lights in the architectural yeah. world. that's the first thing I thought of, but then I thought, if you knock those mm-hmm. out, you're still going to have light. Jeez, I'm old for everything, except storytelling. Here's another one. It's not really a snapper, but I told you guys I did this cameo on Lucy's thing so I was getting messages from the producer and she said oh we're just leaving here now so if you leave your place now we'll probably meet up at the same time and I replied 10-4 yep and she gets back to me and she says what <laughs> I'm not sure what that means um can you uh what does 10 what is 10 what what language is that <laughs> she so, must have been young yeah, oh yeah. They're, they're, they're all very young so then I get onto set and I'm talking to I, I think somebody I know because everybody's in masks and I said uh, do you know what 10-4 means and she said no <laughs> I said uh, you know in um, what they call those uh, what's the unit in the truck a CB yeah, yeah, CB talk, right? It's just radio talk. Yeah, it's yeah. radio communications. Yeah. Because I know on film sets, if you got to go to the can, you say, I'm going 10-1. If you're going to lunch, you say you're going 10-20, or you're going off the air for a while for some reason. There's a whole raft of Well, them, even, right? yeah, even what's your 20. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a little offside there. Okay, here's the next one. I'll spell it. E-L-E-G-I-A-C. Elegiac, I think. I've heard the word before. Best guess is it's got something to do with the word root of elegy. Yeah. Which is what? An inheritance? No, an elegy is... So if somebody dies and then somebody gets up to make a flattering speech about that person and a reassuring speech about where that person is now, they are said to be giving an elegy. So if you speak flatteringly of somebody uh, or in a way that causes them to be regarded as happy and safe... And reassuring, you've reassured somebody about them or it. I think you are then said to have made an elegiac speech, I think. Nice. So now let's see if I go 0 for 3 here. Well, I would actually read it, but it agrees with you. So I don't think we should highlight that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It even agrees with your pronunciation. Um, It's got the first syllables where the accent is, is elegiac. Elegiac, nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's relating to or characteristic of an elegy. Good, so one for three for me. I just, I, I should get credit for swinging for the fences though, I think. I get three for three because I'm Googling. 
Do you guys remember what a prenindle is? A what? No. I've never heard of prenindle. Prenindle? Prenindle. No. Never How heard of it. How do you even it. spell it? P-R-N-D-L. Oh, park reverse neutral low. Drive low. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, all caps. Yeah. Yeah, it's the shift pattern on an automatic transmission. And I'm not sure why this, but I, I saw something that said, please do not reply, which is PDNR. And I thought of Pernindle when I saw that. Uh-huh. I've yeah. never heard of Pernindle. Did Bill Cosby do a comedy bit? Like on why is there air or something? And he mentioned that there was a pernindle on every car. I, I, I can't oh, remember. Oh, maybe that's where it came from. Anyway, I, I just sort of, okay, here's our next one. He also did a comedy bit on Spanish Fly. Ah, yes. <laughs> RJ says helpfully. In case anybody out there has forgotten anything to do with that whole horrible aspect of everything. Just throws that out there. Is he out of jail now? I think so, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. The revanchist, R-E-V-A-N-C-H-I-S-T, revanchist. Jeez. Not a revisionist? So it's from the French revanche, and I think a revanche is a defensive setup in a fort. So if you're a revanchist, I think maybe you're always on, you're always putting up obstacles in defense of whatever you don't want to have happen, I think. Nice, Skinny. I'm just making that one up, too, because I can't remember. But I believe that's what it is. I don't know why I even think that, actually. Well, just that you had a French root? Well, I don't even know if that's right. Like, I just think that. I I don't examine why I think these things, as you both well know. BJ, I think you hang out with revanchists. (laughs) (laughs) I may even be one. (laughs) A revanchist is one who advocates or fights for the recovery of lost territory or status so then a revanche in fortification terms would mean you expand the boundaries of your fortress outward by creating barriers called revanches well so the indigenous people would be revanches these days yes exactly nice maybe that's what they also helpfully say of or relating to a revanche oh good Good, except for then what the hell is a revanche? That's very helpful, yeah. Yes. A revanche is a usually political policy designed to recover lost territory or status. That's a very obscure word, isn't it? Yeah. But if you're in the business of policy on that kind of stuff, I'll bet you that word's very useful because you need to quickly talk about stuff. You don't want to keep saying, you know, the policies that we've designed to recover (laughs) lost territory. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's interesting. So then Germany, at the outset of the Second World War, would have been pursuing revanchist policies towards Austria and parts of France. Mm, interesting. Right, right. I didn't know that. So there you go. Um, what is the reference nickelback in football? What wow. is a nickelback in football? Get five yards back? I, I'm i going to say it's like a halfback or something like that. There's a fullback and a halfback, and maybe a nickelback is another name for like a halfback. I don't know. I don't feel good about that guess. You guys are closer than me. KJ, did you have a thought on that? 
No, but I don't think it's like the nickel is the five in yards, but it could be. It sounded like it was it was a nickelback. It's a football position, I think, but it's some some sort of blend between two other positions where you don't really do the full roll. Just like a halfback is a blend between a back and a fullback, you're a halfback. What does it say, RJ? PJ is on fire today. That's two for five then. As usual. <laughs> it's not really... In American football, a nickelback is a cornerback or safety who serves as the additional defensive back in a nickel defense. Oh, geez. So if you're doing the nickel defense, that's when you pull in your nickelbacks and they come from different positions. So it's not a full-time position. Damn nickel defense. I forgot about that. And guys, do you think the band Nickelback actually got their name from that? Uh, and something in, you know, they were taken out of their normal role, which was a jazz combo. And they uh, decided to do a little bit of uh, pop, hard rock stuff. That's a good question. I got no idea. They're a Canadian good band, though, question. so you think that would be a stretch, but could be. They could have called themselves Shotgun Defense, and then would, their career would have been way different. The band changed its name to Nickelback, which originated from the nickel in change that band member Mike Kroger gave customers uh, at his job in Starbucks. Uh, uh, he would uh, frequently say, here's your Nickelback. Nice. That's that's fun all by itself. Sounds apocryphal to me. <laughs> and a shotgun offense, not a defense, just by the by. Okay. Nickelback, that's a good that makes a lot more sense than naming your band after some kind of football setup, especially a Canadian band. What is a wonk? That is someone. I mean, the most common use that I've heard of it is a policy wonk. And a policy wonk is someone who knows all the ins and outs of how to develop and to implement a policy. And they know they can answer any question about it. But I think the wonk in general is a fancy way of saying a nerd in a way, a person who's completely focused on the minutiae of developing anything. I agree with all of that. And is there um, IT wonks? Yeah, there's wonks in every field, I think. There well, would be. Course, it's yes. just that it's it's one of those terms that's, I have seen it used in a different way from policy. Um, so here's what we have. A person who takes an enthusiastic or excessive interest in the specialized details of a particular subject or field, comma, especially political <laughs> policy. Oh, Nice. So it is, you know, it's normally policy, but you can apply it to any number of things. So it really is first cousin to nerd as well. It really for sure is. Mm. Yeah, in a sense, but it really has a different, it has a very clear connotation of fascinated by all the, all the details. So a stamp collector who can speak at great length to how much glue is left on the stamp, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you got anything there about where it comes from? Like, why is it called a wonk? How'd that word come up? Origin of wonk, uh, 1920s of unknown origin. Been around. Well, hmm. it has the same word root as the English wanker. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, moving right along. Do we want more? Yeah. I got more. I actually was kidding about moving right along. That's kind of interesting. I would have never guessed that. So it's derogatory, basically. 
Well, originally, you know, like many terms, it changes over time. Yeah. But but you hear policy wonk all the time. Even even the word uh, nerd um, yeah. and, and geek especially, which sometimes is a synonym for nerd. Um, geek, of course, started more in the carnival days. Uh, but those terms um, started to become something that we nerds would use more often on ourselves because I, I would fall into that category being into IT and really fascinated by all kinds of technical stuff. It's in a way, it's kind of like the gay community call, referring to themselves as queer mm. um, as a way to kind of, you know, defang that word is no longer. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I think nerds the same, you, you kind of use it and you don't go, <laughs> what a nerd. It, you don't, you don't hear it in that way anymore. Mm. I think you're right about all that. No. What else you got? What else you got? Sticky wicket. Oh, easy. Mm. Well, yeah, we know what it means. But what is do it we skinny? know where? It, yeah, go ahead, skin. Well, it's from cricket, of course. If you have a sticky wicket, it's a wicket that won't go down when you've bowled successfully and the batter has missed it and you hit the wicket and it doesn't go down. That's a sticky wicket. It's stuck in and it won't fall when it should. I bet you. It's for sure from cricket. But well, it's a problematic situation. Okay, I beg to disagree, but you might know okay. more about cricket than I do. But my understanding is that the, the wicket should stay up. It's yeah, but it, that, if, sorry, you hit, if you hit the wicket, it'll bounce off the wicket in a normal shot. The wicket will not move and you're successful. So I, I don't know about that. No, no. Right. You, you're trying to knock the two little toppers off the three sticks. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're trying to knock the wicket down. Yeah. And in order, in order that you get a chance to bat and score runs. I so did not it, realize that. If it doesn't go down, it's a problem. No. Gotcha. Okay. And I and then my follow-up here. Now, this this is just, I don't remember what I was thinking, but I've got croquet or cricket. The little hoop you go through in croquet, is that not a wicket? Yeah. But your aim in croquet is not to knock that final post down. It's just to touch it. But if you touch it and it sticks, it doesn't go through. Does that no? Don't know. Why is it called croquet? Uh, it's a French word, and it probably refers to the sound the balls make. <laughs> nice. That one's also just made up. <laughs> Why is it called cricket? Do not know. Maybe cricket and croquet have the same word root. Yeah, I. You think you might be right. So the cricket is the English version of the original French game, uh, maybe. Boy, oh boy, this is going to be a rich Google, a rich Google going on. Yeah, on maybe, here. maybe. No, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll leave that for our listeners. But maybe, <gasps> maybe it's a combination of the uh, French croquet and the British crikey. <laughs> 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 well, for sure, points for reading on that one. No question about that. Uh, I don't know. I like the idea that they're both the same thing. And I think it's probably true. I think you're right about that. I think cricket would have been the original French game, you know, William the Conqueror and the ruling classes for the next 500 years. Sorry, did I say cricket? I meant croquet. Mm -hmm. And then that would have evolved into cricket, which is just a corruption of croquet. And it's a whole different game, really. Uh, it's a fun theory. I like that one. Well, we have to defer our gratification so that we can allow our vast listening audience to gratify us via mail. That'd be nice. great. Okay, I'm going to spell this one. I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E. I think in Choate, but it might be in Coat. 
inchoate is what I, I in fact I've been pronouncing it inchoate but it's probably it's probably inchoate I know what it means but I don't know why it is that word What's like what it? is coate well inchoate or inchoate just means you're you're not able to make sense you're not able to speak sense you're gibbering if anything you are maybe senseless altogether but if you are making any sounds they're not sounds that make any sense that's all but what is that word? Where does it come from? Like I said, if you're in Kuwait, what does it mean? Does that mean you can also be Kuwait or Kuwait? I don't mm. know. No idea. Well, let's start with the pronunciation. We've got two options. Oh. In Kuwait and in Kuwait. <laughs> so neither of which are exactly what you and I were saying. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can choose to go all in on the long A there at the end, but in which case they have you emphasizing the first syllable, but anyway, inchoate or inchoate. And I think I feel like this definition is a little bit different from what okay. the connotation you were giving or the, the flavor you were giving. It's an adjective and it means just begun and so not fully formed or developed, semicolon, rudimentary. Wow. And in law, it's anticipating or preparatory to a further criminal act. That's interesting. So mm. in speech terms, it would be you're stuttering. It was, it was, you're, I can't, I, you know, you're stuttering to get going with the thought that's trying to come out. You are rendered in, in, in Kuwait. You're making sounds, but you're not getting there. They have a couple uh, examples in sentences. Wow. Because our company just recently opened its doors, we are in Kuwait and are not offering all of our services yet. Wow. And wow. the second example is while I have started writing my autobiography, it is still in Kuwait because I have several more chapters to add. Wow. Those are all usages that are much gentler than the one I imagined mm. for sure. Yeah. And it's kind of a useless word because you can just substitute in rudimentary I guess there's probably connotations where it's better than rudimentary. We're just, we're not, but you could say we're not fully formed and that's good enough. Yeah. Or, Interesting. Uh, yeah. I was just miles off the pace there and it makes me wonder. No, I don't miles say off miles. The pace. Yeah. Cause I was just saying you're babbling. You're, it's to me, the, the expression I'm most familiar with is somebody is rendered inchoate by a shock or surprise and they just can't express themselves. But mm -hmm. that none of that is f similar to those explanations. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> nice. Well, that discussion certainly was enervating. <laughs> <laughs> well done guys. Okay. I got one more last one. Uh, I'll spell it. O T I O S E. O T O R J. You know this. No, I don't. O T O S. Is that it? O T O S. Yeah. O T O S. Yeah. I don't know this one. What is that device you had for looking into your ear? An otoscope. Oh, an otoscope. Which could be used for looking in nostrils as well. Damn it. Odios. That's a word I've heard before and I, I've got nothing. I just do not remember. I have never heard this word before. What? Do you remember the use, KJ? Did you just finish saying you don't remember how it was used? I have no idea. I was just trying to think what I read. I have it in my head that it's a negative or pejorative thing, you know, like otios, and it might mean that you're nearsighted. It might mean that you're deaf, and it's it's not intended to be literal. It's a oh. figurative term, you know. I don't know. I've I've lost it. 
PJ, you've done so well on so many of the other ones. It's a real, <laughs> real shame about this one. <laughs> what is it? Odios adjective serving no practical purpose or result. Oh, nice. Mm. And archaic, archaically it meant indolent or idle. Ah, um, that's so, probably where I've seen it then. Somebody is being called an odios fool. Yeah. You odios piece of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I might have got it because I clicked on this thing where um, at whatever awards, was it the Academy Awards, DiCaprio's backstage with Cho whoever, and she mentions BTS and... DiCaprio said something like, oh, I'm a big fan of BTS, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just wondering if the Odios was a reference to his take on BTS. I don't know. It looked like the word is often used in insults. Anyway, that's all for this week for KJ Snappers. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks, KJ. That is nice. RJ. Yes, sir. There's an item on here uh, from someone in your life, Sue of Burnaby. <laughs> uh, someone in your life, yeah. Suggests fanny packs. Discuss. Mm. Absolutely. I know it's sort of like, what's the deal with fanny packs? <laughs> No, it's it's basically how do we feel about them. And what's troubling for me here is I think you are already on very public record, RJ, as having an opinion about fanny packs, and it's expressed by the fact that you carry a man purse, uh, a.k.a. shoulder bag. I have a shoulder bag, but that's nothing like a fanny pack. I know that, and I'm, my thought is you have a shoulder bag because you have some sort of aversion to a fanny pack. That's what I think. Well, I think maybe, like I tried fanny packs unsuccessfully, but I've never had a fashion aversion to them. I've never had an issue with, because, you know, you, you, I think some people would go, that looks silly or something, don't you think? A uh, fag bag is how my brother-in-law used to call it. Oh my God. <laughs> that was that was back in the day. Oh. You have some sort of neck beard aversion. And he wore I one. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah. Well. Uh, that makes it uh, okay. Some of my best friends. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that I saw within the last three days something in some headline that said, no, it's a fanny pack. Like, are people trying to rename it? Oh, maybe so. I think that's been going on for decades. Oh, I I did. The attempted renaming and repurposing (laughs) belly bag, fanny pack, you know, like it just goes on and on. And the question is just... Are you in favor of that kind of thing well, or Sue, not? Sue was chatting with me about it because apparently um, people are wearing them again now. They're in style, uh, but nobody ever wears them as a fanny pack. And uh, they were always peculiarly named because I think most fanny pack wearers would wear, wear them in front, correct? Yes. Uh, maybe when they were originally designed, they would go around the back, hence fanny pack. I still have one that I use for hiking and it has a couple of water bottle holders and is it around you know, the you back? You put stuff in it. It's definitely around the back. It's oh, not at all convenient to have it in front. It's probably okay. too big. Okay. There you go. I don't love it very well, but it's better than carrying a full pack all the time. You know, Yeah. like if you're going to go for a four or five hour hike, you pretty much better bring some stuff with you. 
but you don't really need a whole day pack for that. For a four or five hour hike? Yeah, you just need a small, you need to bring water and a snack probably. You probably want to have a snack, but to bring a whole day pack for that is pointless. I don't know if it's a four or five hour walk. I'd probably want to put in a, a card table in there, a couple chairs. <laughs> Hey, were they ever worn over the shoulder, over one shoulder? <laughs> uh, down like a your... bandolier? That's what Sue is saying, that the people do now. They kind of will wear it over the, over the oh. shoulder. There's different configurations that people use them. So it's the man purse evolution. But it's almost like, though, the other one, you got one strap on your shoulder, the, the body of the thing in front of you, but then the other strap, there's nothing to really attach to down there. Wait, wait. I think there's, there's just only one, one strap. strap. Yeah, yeah, I um, know, but it's together. So it it would usually hook around your whole waist, but if it's one's on your shoulder, the other one's going down to where? Your side. You you connect it up, yeah. You buckle it up and then put it over your head, like. Yeah, I know. Yes, but I don't I'm know saying what you're that even talking about one side is going to be dangling. It's not a, it, unless you you uh, sort of got underneath a love handle or something. There's nothing down your side. It does dangle. It's on your side. But it is clipped up behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I know it's so, all so, so it's on your shoulder is where all the weight is. Yeah. And and the on the side, it just kind of, there's a little bit of pressure there against your side. Hardly any, though. Okay. Sorry, Skin. You look so confused. <laughs> we hope to be in the shed for our next session. Skin, uh, bring your fanny pack. We'll we're do gonna, a visual. Uh, we're going to set Moby remember, up. I will. We're going to set Moby up, and uh, he's going to go, oh, Okay, yeah. I get it. <laughs> well, and the other thing too worth mentioning in this context, if they're wearing fanny packs over their shoulder that way, there's already been a whole run of packs that are, they're not man bags and they're not fanny packs. They're sort of triangle shaped and they go over one shoulder. And they She's got intended, one of those. Yeah, they're, they're quite popular about five, ten years ago and still in use all over the place. They still sell them at MEC and stuff like that. And so I don't know why you would take your fanny pack, which is designed and shaped to go around your waist and drape it over your shoulder unless you had some kind of self-consciousness about being labeled as a neckbeard or something. I don't know. Listeners, do you have fanny packs that you still use? Do you call them fanny packs? What's your opinion? If you're good people, you probably do. <laughs> I only say that because I have one and I do still call it a fanny pack. I don't love it, but I still do use it. Nice. I wouldn't use it to go to Walmart or something, though. Foosball yeah. players used to show up to the table with them because they'd pull their wraps out, the things that wrap the handles, make them more oh, comfortable. Yeah. Any other accoutrements like gloves or whatever? That's kind of fun one. So generally speaking, though, if we go back to the pure fanny pack, how do we feel as a panel? Would you wear one? And what context would you wear it in if you did? I'm not averse to it as a fashion item. I, I have no shame in th that regard, but on the other hand, <laughs> I've never found them to be comfortable. Yeah. Just doesn't fit my waist properly. KJ. I'm going to go with RJ. Uh, I, I like the word averse. I'm not averse to that, but I don't have any reason to like anything that can fit in a fanny pack in my world fits into pockets. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the general deal is it is it is intended to take the load off your pocket resources. Uh. Um, I'm with uh, you guys both. I For just a regular, like going to Walmart, 
something to put my wallet, my phone, and my keys in. Uh, no, they don't. I have trouble with the one I have for hiking. I find that I have to cinch it up to, you know, DEFCON 9 in order to make it stay up because my belly wants to push it down. And there's this constant battle. It's it's not pleasant, but oh well. Would it be, so I wouldn't subject myself to that if I didn't really have to. Do you think it's more in use in the summer when perhaps people have less pockets? Like they're not wearing an outer jacket and stuff? 100. 100. I think you're right. And what do we think um, the uh, gender breakdown is? Well, women's pockets were traditionally too small or non-existent. Just actually fake pockets, for example. That dates back to a time when uh, it was believed that women were there to be kind of, you know, looked at. And uh, the men would carry everything and take care of everything. And um, thankfully... Women uh, listeners can comment on this, whether it's gone yet. But uh, I think largely if women buy a pair of jeans, they get, I don't even think they still get full-size pockets. I think you're right. I think they don't Like I still. Could, I could put my iPhone 11, which is a good size one, in my left front pocket of my jeans. And it's comfortable. And even if I sit down, it's comfortable. It doesn't even strain because the pocket's big enough that it kind of falls to the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the so I think the answer to your question, KJ, is the gender split weighs skews to use RJ's word heavily to male, because women are um, rightly or wrongly they're accustomed to not dealing with pockets and they deal with it primarily by carrying purses. I think still. Yeah. Yeah. If they're just going to Walmart or whatever, they carry some kind of handbag, or shoulder bag, or purse or something. They don't. They don't go fanny pack. Generally speaking, anywhere near. Because men never did have shoulder bags, really. And so that's yeah. what I think. Well, next time I go out, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for who I see wearing said item. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see how many you even see. Bring your phone, stop and do an interview, man on the street. Yeah. yeah. So what do you yeah. call that that you're wearing there? And do you get a lot of people stopping and asking you about it? Because I haven't seen that many. <laughs> I'm doing a survey. Yeah. Okay, good. Way to go, Sue of Burnaby. That was interesting. I I haven't thought much about those things, like why I do or don't even wear one. She's noticed more of them lately, so it's kind of like a resurgence. Uh Ah, it's making a comeback. Speaking of which, uh, Sue and I finally got a Costco membership for the first time in our lives. Oh, way to go. Only because we're not big believers in Costco, mostly because we don't trust ourselves to not get sucked in by the, uh, (laughs) you know, amazing deal. And, you know, like I went there one time 15 or 20 years ago and bought like a two kilo, at least great big hard plastic container of dried mushrooms, (laughs) you know, and it was a great deal. It's $15, right? It's a lifetime supply. You know, and like 20 years later or whatever it was, we finally just dumped them out. <laughs> you know, and that's the kind of thing that we're afraid of happening is. hundred. You should be. I was going to say, when you announced that you got that membership, it was going to be welcome to the world of unnecessary purchase. So. Because that's the biggest catch thing going with yeah. Costco. Everybody knows. All it was was we wanted a particular uh, brand of tires, winter tires. And the guy at Canadian Tire said, when I showed him the Costco ad, he said, well, don't tell anybody, but that's a way better deal than what we sell that for. So anyway, uh, even with the cost of the membership, we're saving maybe a hundred bucks overall or more. 
um, on that set of four tires. So we're doing that and we're going to try and be good and not shop at Costco otherwise because I'm not an early morning person. I like to go shopping like at 3 p.m. And I'm never going to go to Costco at 3 p.m. because I'm just going to have to circle the parking lot, right? May I speak from experience? Yes, please. Uh, Helpful advice, Mm -hmm. always a list. And that should be a natural for you. Just bring a list. In fact, use the same list that we do our podcast notes on and just do the list. Right. Because otherwise you're just, you're just, you're dead meat, dead man walking. Right. You're going to come out of there with air fresheners and four gallons of some kind of floor cleaner that you never heard of. (laughs) You know, two different kinds of coffee that you thought might be interesting. And, oh, God, it's just a nightmare. There's that old cartoon Um, of the station wagon driving away from a Costco with a uh, giant box of Cheerios strapped to the roof. (laughs) There's that, too. You'll go in there. You need need stewed tomatoes. Well, you can only buy those by the dozen, speaking of multi-year supplies. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is... Uh, you would go to the same Costco that I do, which is probably the Willingdon one. Yes. Probably. Probably. Yeah. And it is quite interesting. You would think that on a week end would be absolute death to go there. And it, it usually is. But several times I've been surprised negatively on the middle of a weekday, like going a Wednesday afternoon, and it's just absolutely packed. You're circling the parking lot, like you say. And I had a great money-making idea years ago about that, but that's for another time. Um, and then you'll go on a Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock and just walk right in. Hannah said so, uh, Tuesday evenings. Yeah, so, I don't think there's a hard and fast. I think mealtime is a good bet. Go at 5 o'clock, that's a good bet because a lot of people just don't go because they're busy eating a meal someplace. Well, don't you go to Costco for hot dogs? I do, but many people are aware of what goes into hot dogs and keep it in the forefront of their minds, which helps a lot in ever eating another hot dog again. Um, (laughs) But I don't. For a buck and a half, I still celebrate the joy of the deal as far as hot dogs go. Buck and a half for a dog and a drink just can't be beat anywhere. Pretty sure of it. Um, that's, That's the limit of my advice, though. And it's ironic to me that now that it's just you and Sue, empty nesters, now, finally, you get a Costco membership. <laughs> well, I imagine we're going to use it, but for now, we're not even thinking of making lists because we're not even thinking about going there. Yeah. But what did the membership cost? Uh, I think it was $60. Oh. And I have to take the car there. I think the appointment was way the heck out as well. I think maybe it's one or two weeks from now. I'm going to take the car there. So presumably while they do it, because they do do it while you wait kind of thing. Um, then, then I will stroll um, through. Yeah. Get the gigantic shopping cart and just start throwing (laughs) random big things into it. Stuff you never even knew you wanted, but suddenly you can see it all unfolding in your mind. Oh, a marble floor in the bathroom would be great. So I'll just buy this hundred pounds of tile. Oh, geez. I always wanted, you know, like it's awful, 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 awful. We'll be good. Yeah. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. Thank you. And uh, Griffin and Hannah, I'm sorry about your inheritance, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> there goes the inheritance. I just recently upgraded from the basic 60 to 80, and now I'm having the 2% back because they handily just, because they're, it's always the same, right? 
they know how much I've spent. They just run a little app and they tell all the cashiers, when somebody gives you their card, just push this button and it'll tell you how much they've spent. And if it's over this figure, call one of the supervisors and they'll pitch them on an upgrade to their membership because if they spend that much here next year, their membership will be free. Right. Basically. Well, you got a good deal because I think um, the normal price for that is 120 Honestly, I didn't even know. I, I'm so, to me, it's like the subscription thing. It's one of those things I should pay attention to and simply do not. Mm-hmm. For all I know, I'm still buying some executive membership that entitles me to a bunch of privileges that are absolutely irrelevant to me. I, hey, I just don't know. Do they accept both main major credit cards? Visa? No. Yeah. Okay, no. which which one do they accept? MasterCard. And they'll pitch you hard on a MasterCard. Oh, that's okay. Like. I already have a MasterCard, so I'm good there. Yeah, it drives me nuts, but they just do MasterCard, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's very interesting. Susan has a Costco uh, card, but you're right. I don't see bills on the Visa when I do the Visa. Yeah. How does she do she, that, I wonder? She might do it by debit. Ah. And here's a fun question or a fun admission on my part. Uh, Angie, the accountant, asked me right out of the clear blue sky the other day, why don't I ever use my credit card? Why do I do everything by debit? And this will come as a bit of a shock to you guys, but I have to confess that I have a slight propensity to argue everything all the time, <laughs> what? no matter what. <laughs> and she <laughs> she said that to me, and I just, there was a little pause, and I just said, geez, you know what? I don't actually know at all. There's, it's stupid. Like, I have a credit card because it gives me some sort of benefit, whatever it is. Why would I not just do it it's just well the key of uh, course is if you're going to pay for everything with your credit card you want that automatically set up to pay be paid for out of your checking account every month yeah so you don't even have to check on it yeah absolutely and i think that's the reason from way back in the dim past someplace i was afraid about out of control credit and i just so i just didn't use it and yeah. so dumb well susan does most of her traveling on her visa points like yeah. literally most of it. Yeah. This is what I mean. And I, I don't even know. I have the benefit I get out of my current visa is uh, points of some sort. And points are, listeners, do yourself a favor. If you're on a points plan, have a good, long, hard look at it. Because generally speaking, it's like a currency that you have no control over. And if you get a whole bunch, you can bet that a whole bunch of other people get a whole bunch. And then the people who run the program will simply devalue your currency as they may do. And they may devalue it by straight up saying the same product costs more points or by changing the value of products that are available to you to redeem those points against. So, Is that fairly common, Skin? Oh, it's 100 common. It's, the, it's absolutely the thing. Oh. And our friend Terry O'Reilly at Under the Influence did a whole podcast on points programs, where they originated from and why they work for the companies that run them. And those things that I just said are the big reasons. They just... It's yeah. currency. Uh, I do uh, a MasterCard that's a cashback. So it's used to be yeah. 2%, but it's now it's 1.5% of all purchases, which is great. And I don't have to be aware of what the value of points are, but they'd still use points because for whatever reason, psychologically, all those points programs, like if Save on Foods, for example, has a points program. And when you're buying, they go, hey, you know, if you want to buy this loaf of bread, it'll only cost you 300 points. And 
you have no idea what a point's worth, <laughs> but it sounds None. great. So you go, I'll spend None. my 300 points. And it turns out that if you had just saved your 300 points, you could have gotten a Starbucks card for like 10 times worth as much for the same number of points. They're constantly playing games on the points. And yes. it's very, I mean, I, I might sound cynical saying that, but they're even more cynical doing it. It's really, really evil what those companies do with points constantly. Yep. I mean, the fact that Susan's getting all this travel for free is huge. I mean, she doesn't have to think what is a point worth, really. She's just getting free stuff, and that, that's, that's the good side of a reward credit card. Yeah, I'd mm. say cash back is the good side also. Well, cash no matter what great. else happens, you get money back. So great. Yeah, we get but, like a thousand bucks back a year or something like that. Yeah, but the whole, the takeaway message is they aren't free. Those points aren't free and the cash back isn't really free either. Like it is after you spend a certain amount, but you got to spend a certain amount. Well, no, for, uh, for ours, there's no fee. Okay, there um, you go. So it's totally free except for the fact that I'm using it and Susan's card's going to be the same, the retailers have to pay for every time you use it. And uh, the retailers have to pay more than regular credit cards. It's highly unfair to the retailers. So wow. like when I use my card, the retailers might actually have to pay the credit card company that one and a half percent that I'm getting back. Wow. Instead of the normal half percent, or I, I don't know the exact figures, but they're actually substantial. Oh, I, guess thought Visa that, was, uh, I thought Visa was like two point something percent yeah, it to the might retailers. Be. It might well be, and it might be three point something percent when I use my card. But the, the bad news for that is poor retailers, actually poor consumers, because guess what? The retailers have to boost their prices a little bit to pay for all this. Yeah. And so even though I get to benefit from all that, um, don't it's a fleeting benefit really well it's it's, it's chasing it's, your own tail no right? i get to benefit from it but mom and pop that are buying from it with cash they're paying for it yeah the people who pay cash are are you know that that vendor does not have any fees from the use of cash or debit card for that matter right right so they get a larger profit margin on a non-credit card yeah. thing yeah. yeah 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 oh i would love it if all points programs were outlawed yeah I, I don't think I would mind. I'm sure a lot of people would really scream, but I really do believe they're they're just not free. One way or another, they're not free. And the big winner is not you, the consumer. The big winner is what the they are is they're company. paying for information. There's that too. They're, they're also making you feel you get a great deal when you're really not getting that great of a deal uh, in general. But they also are learning all about you and your spending habits and what what do you get excited about and what what should they pitch to you. Yeah. And a lot of them are really insidious there. This week's offers. And so now it's gamified. You have to go in and look at this week's offers and think about, well, what's what's good? And because you don't really know what points are worth, you just kind of choose something that they pushed you into and already raised the price on. And it's just, uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on with points programs. Well, that's. Uh, I hope we have something uplifting to close with because <laughs> that was a harsh downer. <laughs> yeah. What did I see recently? Well, no, I'm going to Dave Chappelle. You guys ever watched Dave Chappelle? Not recently. KJ? Uh, I think so. Uh, uh, some time ago. I, 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 was he a, a bit of a hit with the kids? Maybe. I think he's a bit of a hit with people who are not in favor of political correctness. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but there's a lot of comedians that fall into that category. The idea is to be be really outrageous, to say things that are definitely not politically correct, but you kind of own it so much, and it really gets the audience laughing hard because it's kind of shocking. And some points can be made along the way. But I watched what he claims to be his last stand-up special for a while uh, called The Closer. Netflix. Highly recommend it. Spend a while, like, you know, I, I look at the guy and sometimes he really bugs me because he clearly thinks the world of himself. If you're measuring yourself on how popular you are, I think that could happen to pretty well anyone. Like he's wildly popular. He charges massive amounts of money for these specials. Um, oh, hold on a sec here. We're wildly popular. Yeah. And we're just normal, humble, not full of ourselves people. Well, it, what are you talking about? Well, it pisses me off when people come up to the table for a for an autograph. Well, I mean that <laughs> like it's doesn't it doesn't it get on your nerves sometimes when Yeah, but it's the price you pay for the pleasure of our company being published to the world every, you know, couple three weeks. That's just think of it that way. You know. Or wear a disguise. That's what I do. I just I put on a fake beard and hair. Whenever I go out. It's pretty fun to watch him work because he's saying outrageous stuff, particularly because he, he's not a hundred percent in the woke community around the trans stuff. He's, Mm. you know, he speaks part of that. He spends some time talking about JK Rowling and how she's been cast, cast badly. Um, and it's fun because the camera's panning out to the audience and you can see maybe a couple glowering, (laughs) And they, 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 they don't spare that, you know, the camera, I think they personally picking up the people who are not very amused by what he's saying. What makes it more potent? I didn't agree with everything he said, but I still totally enjoyed watching it. Just watch this guy at work. And, uh, I, you know, I highly recommend it. I don't want to say too much because I'm not gonna, you know, we already wore out our, our lifetime of, uh, spoilers with the white Lotus. Good show. uh, Because he's in the headlines these days, uh, Netflix is defending him, right? Am I correct? It could well be because articles like from three days ago were saying, yeah, we're going to see him taking off, taking off. He's going to be off Netflix now. People people are really pleased. And here I watched him on Netflix. I think it was last night. So he has not been taken off. And good good on Netflix. Well, and also he said... Oh, they're going to cancel me? That's great. <laughs> like, he was just going, well, if that's what they do, that's what they do, you know? Yeah. I, I just well, love that he's purposefully, just purposefully trying to get people angry at him. He refers to himself as a transphobe throughout. And oh, I don't, that'll do it. Yeah. And I don't think he's a transphobe yeah. at all. But he doesn't, he doesn't let you in on that. This is just my opinion. He doesn't say, hey, come on, I'm just kidding here. No. I just yeah. love it. I just love watching them work. Um, guys, I got to kind of get going. Okay. Yeah, same. Because same, I'm going to watch episodes three and four of White Lotus tonight, b- believe it or not. I watched one and two <laughs> last night, and Alan Morgan is coming back, and we're going to watch three and four tonight. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe even more. Okay, we made it to the end. Hopefully, you did hear some stuff that was of use to you. I don't know if you did or didn't. Even more, hopefully, you heard some stuff that was just fun to hear. You can tell your friends. When you do, make sure you tell them where you heard it. 
I think that's all I got. I don't think I have another thing to say other than thank you for being here and thank you for coming again soon if you get a chance. We're still going to be here, still going to talk. So take care of yourselves till then, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. See you.